released on Sunday, July 12th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 89. Don't be an Agile hoarder. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you Agile enough? This podcast is devoted to Agile and Lean software development. Time to welcome your Agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. My name is Jason Tice, and joining me tonight for a special late-night edition of This Agile Life are two awesome hosts. And um, first host to join us tonight is Natalie. So, uh, Natalie, what's up? Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, nice to be here in the uh, late evening. I'm still awake, and I'm sober, so that's good. That's wow. always great, <laughs> Natalie. So, And um, also joining us tonight, we've got Nate. Nate Mackey's here. And um, how's it going, Nate? It's going just wonderful. So glad to be here and actually made it on two weeks in a row, which is crazy. Yes, I think this is a um, this is a, an episode to, uh, tonight or this week that uh, I know Nate, Nate's been on a hiatus for a period of time. It's been our two weeks. Natalie, you've been kind of like me running around real busy and we've been kind of missing in action lately. So it will be uh, interested to see where the three people who haven't really talked that much actually get together and have a conversation. <laughs> We're back in the saddle. Yeah. So, um, so our, our, our thoughts for tonight, we were, thought we might talk a few things about planning. And I know we had a, a similar episode on recently where we talked about, um, uh, where actually Nate was on it, where we talked about some other thoughts on planning. But uh, I guess I, I shared a story where this week uh, I was working on, uh, basically I was, being, I was playing the life of a product owner. And I was asked, we, we had a brainstorm for a product. And we came up with lots of great ideas. And then we basically started to make a, a kind of like a story map of features to prioritize. And then we wanted to take all of these ideas we had from the, from the brainstorm and write stories. And it, it's just for a small team. So I guess when I got to about 80 stories, I decided to just stop because I said, we have way more than enough stories to get started. And so I, I thought I'd talk about that because some people and there were people in the group that said, why don't we keep going? And why don't we write all the stories out for all the things we brainstormed? And uh, if anything, I'll share, there were a few people that said we probably could have written fewer stories because the team probably thinks they can only get maybe a story or two done a day. So right off the back, 80 stories, that's 40 days of work. So that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of ideas. So I was curious what you guys thought about that. And maybe we can give some ideas and some insights to our listeners um, who might be facing the same type of a task. So uh, on the, even when in 40 days. Uh, after three days of completing two or three stories, you get to a point where half of the stories that you've written uh, or many of them are no longer needed. They, you've identified something else and you don't have to work on them and it was wasted effort to to write those stories. So being as minimalistic as possible with that planning is, I, I think, it, you know, it's a key thing, but it's very hard for teams to do because they, you know, like they, they get into solutioning and wanting to figure the whole thing out and, and fall back into somewhat of a waterfall requirements and let's get this whole thing, big picture out there. Yeah, I think uh, that's one of the reasons we've really, you know, the idea of minimum viable product has really taken off where, where we are because it helps you to constrain your planning a bit instead of thinking of all the things that your product could eventually do or that you'd love for it to do, you can talk about what you need for it to do to really even consider release one or, or release two. And I think that's very helpful because it's just so easy to dream and, and think about all the things it could possibly do. But at the same time, you don't want to, it's a balance because you don't want to um, stifle creativity or innovation when you're thinking about your product and you might you know, as you talk, you might come up with some really great feature that is the killer feature for your app that you suddenly realize, wow, if it did that, 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 that's better than everything else combined. We really should do that first. But, you know, you also don't want to talk for days and days and days and come up with hundreds and hundreds of stories, most of which will never be touched again. Well, let me ask this then. So, and actually a, a technique as I was working on this story list that I, that I personally used is I kind of said, we, you know, we invested a, a, about a day and a half to kind of do a brainstorm on what this product could be. And then I took all that information with the idea of 
prioritizing the highest features and then writing stories so we could get started. And I limited my time I invested in that to a couple hours, you know, so is that a is that a viable practice to say, you know what, we had a, a brainstorm, we're gonna we're just gonna synthesize that into stories for maybe two or three hours and then we're gonna stop and we're kinda like Natalie said, we're gonna get started learning and implementing some of those. Yeah, I like that idea. I like constraining it so that you just you don't end up going on and on. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, it, it sounds like you started to just get that feeling after a while, like this is enough. You know, we've we've got this many stories. We've really we've really done what we need to do to be able to move forward on this product. I think that makes sense. Yeah, we certainly use um, uh, techniques of, of even just time boxing it um, and, and, and forcing people to stop because sometimes people can get into sort of, you know, this analytics, uh, analytic, oh, sorry, I cannot speak. And I haven't had a drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, just overanalyzing everything and getting too far into the weeds. Um, and it can be fun because as much as we think that, you know, developers don't like to talk when it comes to coding and, and creating things, they, they like to, to argue back and forth ad nauseum. So time boxing can be helpful. So, so I think this makes sense to us. And, and as we know, it makes a lot of sense to really to teams and to developers because it really provides them autonomy so they can think about innovation. I guess my, my theory is how do we address the other people involved who you know, kind of call it the project managers, the project sponsors, the investors who are have skin in the game because they're saying we're going to pay for this and really for them to have the confidence to make an investment. They want some assurances that I really know what I'm going to get. And so I because I, I, I know in on prior episodes, we've talked about that's where, you know, the big requirements document shows up and OK, here's a million dollars, but here's all the crazy things we want you to do that we write in a big document. And if you're willing to sign on the dotted line and say, we will do all of this, then we'll invest in you and we'll, we'll, we'll do the work. So how do we influence really the sponsors of our work to think about this type of incremental planning? Go for it, Natalie. Ben, yes, please answer that question. That is the, <laughs> that is the million dollar question. So. I'm putting my hand up. The, the only way that I can think of doing that is banning them from like any association with the team whatsoever. Because that that's a fight that's gonna that's gonna go on unless you've got total agile adoption across the organization. If you've got people stuck dates, you know, far long range dates and and a very well defined what's going to be at the end is, is always going to be a struggle and a challenge. But so that's a case of educating up and, and um, uh, having uh, showing how, how MVP is the first step and building on that and then letting the customers drive what, what it, it then grows into is really that case of, of educating up and, and it's, it's hard and it, it's painful, but yeah, there's, there's no silver bullet there. Yeah, we we did a story mapping session with a potential customer um, that Jason will remember, where we tried very hard to get them to uh, limit the scope of what they were doing, and they really struggled with it. They really struggled with the idea of um, what can we do to get this out and get you something that works. And you know, I think there are a lot of business owners, product owner types that do struggle with that. They they have this vision and everything really needs to be there. And in fact, the longer you talk about it, the more ideas they'll come up with. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to do that too. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. It really needs to do that too. Uh, so it can be really challenging to get them to, to constrain to something. But uh, what we've tried to do in the past is, is just talk through the value of putting something out there and getting it working, even if the whole product is not there. And you, you know, you can talk in terms of ROI, um, I know there's a great talk that, um, oh my gosh, uh, that I've heard in the past and I'm, I'm in trouble with the name. Oh no, but, Another, uh, no more late night this at your life. Okay. I know, We've... I know. Um, just that, that is the description of, of Agile and it talks about ROI and it talks about that as the main driver of why you do Agile in the first place. And if you want to get your ROI gradually, instead of all at the end in a moonshot and how, how much more value and monetary value, financial value you can create by doing that. What does that take? And if you want to do that, what does that take? And it's all this 
um, you know, this domino effect of all the things you need to do. And it all adds up to uh, doing your agile development. So you can talk in those terms of actually being able to get revenue earlier. And if you add this feature and this feature and this feature, you know, you're pushing that day when you can start getting revenue out further and further. I had a couple of things there and I wish I had a notepad here because I said three things. So one of the, one thing that can help with uh, helping people understand the process is there's a really neat YouTube video uh, product ownership in a nutshell that is really consumable for anybody. And is, is, is what I use all of the, the time to try and explain what it is that we do very, you know, uh, in a very concise manner. So we, we, uh, all, the, we all need to stop for a moment and say thank you, Heinrich, for making that because <laughs> everyone in the world, I think, uses that. And it's so true. So if you haven't ever watched Heinrich Nineberg's product ownership in the nutshell, it will be the best 15 minutes of your life and you will be like the rest of us who, sh- who promote it to everyone. So we'll, we'll put that in the show notes if you haven't by chance seen it. I think it's been a pick on. The oh, it's show. been a pick I, like six I, times I, already. So. <laughs> well, it's worth putting in there just because we've mentioned that it's, that it's, it's the like other thing is things we should do on every episode. Talk about Heinrich Nyberg's product ownership and Nutshell and talk about Joe Barnes, right? That's right. <laughs> yes, right. Okay. Fine. Super fan. No, no more jokes. Okay. Moving on. Natalie, what else <laughs> you got? Back on top. The, the other thing was um, going back to uh, I've had the experience where uh, developers struggle without seeing the big picture because there's some level of shame that they feel uh, about putting an MVP out there that they don't think is up to snuff with the competition. Um, and that, you know, that's a, another, you know, where they want to, they want to include everything in there. Um, so it's not, it's not just product owner or business that, that, that leads into that. Um, I, and, and the third thing was that I wanted to mention was one of the things that I've been working with or struggling with this week um, uh, is the the lack of product owners bridging that gap between customers and the team. And I think that that's, that's what's key and it, it plays into the planning um, and making sure that they're planning towards what the customer wants and not not what they're just like this big picture that they have so, so are you saying natalie that's a that's a something where you're you you see the product are not working enough with the customer i mean what do you mean by that yes not working enough and not bringing the customer closer to the development team ah I, so it's the danger I, where the product owner becomes the customer yes yeah i I, I sort of hesitate to say this in case somebody I work with listens uh, to this, but I actually had a product owner when I suggested that as we're going into beta that, you know, this is going to be great with our, our demos because we can have customers giving us real-time feedback. And they said, I wouldn't invite a customer to a demo. Jaw drop. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that, so that's why that's been a, a theme for me this week. So, and I can see that, that, you know, that, that really does, once you've got that, that out there, that, that uh, the customer's feedback should be the primary driver for, for all of the work that's going on and the planning around that. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of flabbergasted. We, we have teams that, you know, we have training them to have a demo if the customer is not there, like we want them to go ahead and have one anyway, that, that, that it's a good practice. It's a good discipline to have a demo yep. on a regular basis, even if for some reason your customer can't make it. So yeah, that, that blows me away too. Like, so, and I know our friend Lee's not here, but that, that is the metric that I love to encourage teams or really anyone to track it. I was actually in a conversation today where we're talking about tracking it across teams within a portfolio to say, when was the last time you had a real demo? You know, I could put it, put a date counter up in your team area almost as a warning sign to say, Hey team, you know, the customer has been busy. We've done three weeks of work. They haven't made it to our demo. We've received no feedback. And the thing you could also then do is you, you mix a run rate with that. So you say, Hey, as a team, you know, we figure out what our daily run rate as a team is. So, you know, say it's like $5,000 as a team. So at that po- every week at that point, it's basically 25 grand. So you've done three weeks of work. You haven't, you haven't had a good demo. You basically made a $75,000 investment. And it's a conversation with your customer. And as a team, are we happy with saying we've invested $75,000? We haven't gotten any feedback as to whether or not we're on track or not. If we aren't on track, are we okay? You know, that's that whole conversation about are you, is your customer willing to forgive that investment if you've gone wrong? So 
You, you just bought a Tesla and you haven't even gotten to drive it. Yeah, kind of. So, so lots of ideas there, I think, and hopefully some insights. Um, I don't know. I guess next time I see Lee, um, number one, he'll probably go off on me about more metrics, which I'm talking about. And then I can go to his agile confession and confess that as a product owner, I wrote 80 stories, which was, again, for this team, I think probably a few more than we should have written. But um, at, this, at this point, guess what? A minimal amount of time was invested. So, And I guess kind of almost to what um, what Natalie was saying is that product ownership is collaborative. So if you're a product owner, you should be out there writing stories and working with a team you know, not just sitting in, as John would say, in your corner or, or in your lavish MBA style office and, you know, writing stories about what you think the product should be due. You should be talking to people about that. So. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to add about, uh, you know, sort of like o- over planning and, and story creation is that a good practice is um, going, keeping the that backlog to a, a limited and anything over X amount of days or X amount of months, whatever the, you know, the team deems worthy is or is a good idea, delete those stories. If it's been that long that nobody, you know, like nobody has seen that as important to do, get rid of them. Leave, you know, like forget about them. Stop stop having those stories clutter up and can and and uh, distribute the focus of the team. You know, I'm going to – it's funny you, you mentioned that. I'm going to make that a pick of mine. Uh Goodwill, the the charitable organization, they have what they call the Goodwill rule, which is where if you have something like in your home that you haven't touched in like, I've heard it as little as a month or like two months, give it away. Because if it's been sitting there for a month, and unless it's a seasonal item, you're probably never going to go back and use it. And I mean, I'm looking around, my, I'm in my Agile room and I'm looking around I'm like, there's stuff from like Agile 2012 over on the shelf over there that I haven't touched in like five e- or three years and I probably do need to throw it away. So same goes for your backlog. Stop being an agile pack rat. Yeah. Sorry. I should throw that stuff away. Yeah. But come on, man. That was like scaled agile framework version 1.8. It was awesome. And now it's, now it's, it's amazing to hold 1.8 up next to four. Oh, it's like, wow. Look at the difference. At some point, Jason, we're going to see you on an episode of hoarders. <laughs> Yeah, come in my ads room. So, so Natalie, I do want to ask you a question because I get this question all the time. I have a few different answers to it. I'd love to hear yours. How do you determine how many items you should keep in your backlog? Blah. Um, I I don't think there is a, a single answer for any team. Um, I, I think that uh, it varies based on on project. You know, like. Some things have a definitive end, and some are ongoing and growing um, uh, projects. So I don't, I don't think there is a one single answer. I'm curious to hear if I'm right or wrong in your estimation. I don't know. I mean, Nate, you got an idea? I mean, I, yeah, I don't have a number either. Um, but you, you know, it's kind of like I when I go and look at someone's backlog, and it takes them, you know three, four hits of page down to, to see them all. Then I start thinking, do you even, can you keep these in your head at all? I mean, even at some sense of them, uh, how, if you can't keep them in your head, then someday you're going to write a story that's already in that backlog. It's just going to happen. And if that, if, if you ever do that, then you know, you've got too many items in the backlog. But they, well, that, that, that'll what, happen even at the start of a project. I mean, even when you're first starting, I've, you see it multiple times where, no, that's a duplicate. We've already written that story. And it's just because of the structure or, or somebody else wrote it or whatever. So that that's a danger at any time. Right. But to me, it's just an indication that you probably, your backlog is too big. If you forgot that you already wrote that story, that just proves that your backlog was com- completely wasted. Yeah, so normally... I've, as can be imagined, I've done a few things where um, we've attempted to put a formula around how long your backlog should be. And so if you look at the throughput of a team, so say they complete 15 stories a week, you know, maybe as a gauge, think about how, 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 you know, how, how much things are changing in the team's ecosystem. So like, is the product you're building in a state of evolution or is your, is the business relatively stable? And at that point, maybe it makes sense to say, have one or two weeks of, of extra of excess stories in the backlog. So based upon data, 
And I, I wouldn't go more than really one or two. I actually would probably opt for about one. So just pretty lean. Yeah. And maybe you've got, you know, a few big, you know, high level features that you have in mind that that are coming up just so everybody has a vision of the product overall and where you're headed. But yeah, I, I think that's a great rule of thumb is that one or two weeks ahead should be really all you need. Once you get past that, then those those ones past that are really suspect. Yeah, and what I'll share, Nate, that I've seen about that and why I actually really, I, I would recommend two specific practices out of this conversation that I've had, had the privilege to work with teams on and they, they have found value. Number one is do some type of time box planning. So if you're going to write stories, that is a time-constrained event. So maybe you invest an hour, maybe you invest two hours every week on it and no more, enough to ensure you you, know, you have some work to do. The thing I've learned about making that time boxed, it, it, it helps people stay on focus or stay on point. Yeah. The other one is to just um, at that point also maybe you know have an agreement that you know we, we measure how much work we need and we don't keep that much around. So something where we, we, we say, you know what, we will replenish our backlog so it has 20 stories in it. As soon as we have 20 stories, we're done. And we, we go back to whatever we're doing. So at that point, you you kind of curb all this excessive planning that Natalie talked about with non-negotiable rules that are driven by data. Another technique that can be used too is is having, say, the product owner, a tech lead, maybe you know if if there's an analyst, or whatever, however the team is made up, um, doing a lot of that planning uh, outside of the team. And 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 not actually sort of taking up all of their time because you know ooh. And, and have developed. Oh, where's Avis? Where's <laughs> Avis? <laughs> Would I have my head chewed up here? <laughs> well, put it this way: I've worked with teams, Natalie, and I have done that, and I have been told uh, the team appreciated that because you know we sometimes the business is stuck in the mud, and so the product owner could go over and work with the business, figure out what the business actually needs synthesize that into a user story and then present that to the team for the team to split out, to size it if they want to, to, and to write the acceptance criteria. So the traditional product owner role. Some people, Amos is a person in particular, and he's talked about it on prior episodes, thinks that that whole discovery activity should be done as a whole team. Yeah. I, I can see both. And I think that you probably need to, a, a big influence, influencing factor here is the the style of a product owner. Mm. Some product owners think out loud and don't have a solid vision. So you need to kind of force them to get a little bit more sort of firm around what it is they're trying to do before you expose them to the team, because that can actually spiral into all sorts of things. And the team loses, you know, respect or, or, you know, for, for what the product owner is trying to do. So that planning outside of the team can be really helpful to presenting a very clear and crisp vision to the team during planning. I think there's value in at least doing some sort of preparatory um, work by, you know, a few people getting things focused, like you said, and and then still getting the team together in front of the product owner or customer so that they can ask questions, they can hear what they're excited about, they can hear it in their own words. Uh, I think what Amos is against is this idea of, um, I'm the tech lead and I'm going to filter everything the customer says yeah. and I'll, I'll let you know what they said. And, and, and then you'll, you'll just listen to, to that because you don't need to spend time with them. And we've seen that as an anti-pattern before Yeah, the, the tech lead well, or to be, and, the, and the team just doesn't get any chance to hear what they have to say. Well, or to be fair, also the, there are many evil product owners in the world who, as John would say, sit in their beautiful office with the door closed and, commit the team to fixed scope sprints without even asking the team if the goal is reasonable. And again, that's not the way the product owner role was ever envisioned, but it's unfortunate that in some environments, that's how the product owner role is facilitated. So our call to action is, you know, for, for if you're in that environment out there to say that that's something that you should really influence that, that person or that, however that role is being done to be done in a more collaborative manner. And I think that just goes to what I just said as far as you've got to read each situation because we've got some incredibly mature teams that don't need to have a formal planning session. They, they This is happening constantly. They talk about it when it comes up and the product owner is in 
in the in the, the team room with them and they're and they're doing that planning constantly and to to eliminate the need for a plan a you know a formal planning meeting so they get down to basically they you know they just they just commit because their stories are mature enough to to commit at you know uh, at at the end of their sprint all right well that got an interesting idea because the other thing we had queued up for tonight was um as i mentioned uh, uh gil braza has got a new book out it's called the agile mindset it's actually out electronically right now when this goes live in late july 2015 and i believe in early august 2015 it will be out in print and um, he pushed a newsletter out to promote the book and um, he, where he talked about what he calls wishful planning. And it, we pulled a few um, a few snippets from the newsletter that I thought we could talk through, share, maybe share some stories. But I think we've already kind of jumped into a few of them. So we can kind of do a bit of a recap. But basically in this book, again, about the Agile Mindset, one of the topics Gil focuses on is this whole idea of, again, how to do planning the right way within the idea of, you know, iterative planning and having very much a focus on discovery and learning, which is what Agile is all about. So, so um, anyone want to volunteer to share the first one here? Or? This is where we get to read a list and talk about it. We love these episodes. If you listen to our episode about change leadership, I'll, ever, I'll advertise this list only has four items, not eight, so it won't take as long. Uh, yeah, oh. sure. I'll read the first one. Okay, Nate will read the first one, because I think Natalie's on mute. Maybe she heard us, hopefully, and she can fix the problem. Okay. So. Um, I have. All right, so the first one is understand outcome and purpose of every piece of work. So this is the idea of um, begin with the end in mind. Why is it that you are doing this? Make sure everybody understands why and not just what, uh, which, which is something you can't really... Uh, overemphasize how important it is for the developers to understand why. And then, and that goes, you know, with the conversation we were having uh, last week with Wes Higby, um, not just doing the list of tasks that your customer has for you to do, but understanding why are we doing this? And is this really the, the best way to solve this problem? Yeah. And, and this to me is where I know the practice I talk a lot about is saying that if teams are working on user stories or coding, they should be doing those against the backdrop of a product vision, or as, as we described before, this idea of a minimal viable product. So yes, I'm working on this story for this feature, but this big picture idea of what the, really how this thing provides value is something that everybody understands. And so I'll share as a, doing assessments. I love to assess this because it's like you, you kind of do some interviews with team members and you say, Hey, what, what are you really doing here? And as as a member of this team, you know, what is this team's purpose? And put it this way, it's probably, it's very easy to tell when the team has that unified vision and they understand where they're going so they can have this understanding of their of what their work means and when they don't. So it's, um, and Natalie, you have any thoughts on this? Because I know in the past you've talked about like product vision and, and, and you're very passionate about that, which is really what I think we're speaking to here. Yes, I, I do have thoughts. Um, the, the the vision around uh, the work that's being done is, is so key because I think that that it impacts uh, the to a certain degree the the quality of what of the work that ends up being being done. Um, people that believe in what they're doing tend to care a little bit more and actually produce better work. And so when that, that, uh, when they have a clear vision of, of that um, and, and, and are brought in, and that's the other thing that, 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 which can be a little bit more difficult because people get assigned to things that they don't necessarily agree to, but um, having a clear understanding of it is the first step and then, and, and giving the reasons why we're doing this work and what benefit, and even down to seeing, um, the the metrics and the research that, that has been done to understand how this is going to be a, a beneficial product at the end of the day and how it's going to be successful that that really does feed into to having a a high performing team so the next one on this list was it prioritize your constraints at the beginning and this basically is saying that if you mandate certain, uh, if you mandate certain quality, that really kind of requires you to trade off on time, scope, or cost. Um, if the deadline is real and immutable, then you have to cut scope and cost if you even hope to get quality work done. And then um, one of the best tools here that Gil recommends, he says, is to prioritize all constraints at the beginning before starting your work. And I'll share um, real life something that I was just talking about um, earlier this week with a few groups was. 
ways to take this exact idea and apply different classes of service like to a, to a team's work so they focus on work that has more constraints and dependencies. And we actually talked about like on the, their, their task board or their Kanban board to have like three large lanes. The first lane at the top is the expedite. You know, that's the lane for the stuff you got to do really quickly because it's on fire. But then the next lane down, so the second most important class of service would be work the team has to do that has dependencies and constraints on something outside the team. So basically a mechanism to, so the team can see that and they're almost called to focus on that work first. And then below that work that has dependencies and constraints, the, la the, the lowest class of service we call just standard work, which is the work the team can complete without the need to coordinate with someone else. Mm. And so a way that on a very simple task board or a Kanban board, all of that is transparent to the team and they're naturally drawn to focus on things where there's constraints and risk. What do you think, Natalie? So there's a, there's a really good game that we've been playing, Get Kanban, I'm sure you showed the online version, um, that demonstrates that beautifully. Um, that, okay, that so that, a way that, to that's been plugged. Okay, so thank you. I'm sorry. Thank <laughs> you, Russ Healy, for making Get Kanban. <laughs> thank you, Russ. So we have to say thank you, Heinrich, and thank you. Okay, that's too much fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm being repetitive. No, this is no. good. This is good. <laughs> but it is. Uh, it, yeah, it's the greatest hits made. Um, I think that it, it really we've seen the results of that with the, with teams of seeing the the benefits of of focusing on, on that stuff. So it just wanted to throw it out there that it's a really good tool if people are struggling with this to to go through, and it's actually fun, and you will hate Carlos. That's right. <laughs> do you want me to go ahead and read the next one or no nate you got anything on this prioritize constraints no i, I what love is the, what does the scaled agile framework have to say about this yeah <laughs> I, I love that idea that uh that you you think about those things and and normally we we think about them i think when we try to get our teams to do this we we think about them in terms of risks uh, risk to the team, and I think that that ends up being kind of the same thing well, when you talk about constraints, because you're thinking of what could keep us from getting our work done successfully. So I, I love that idea of of getting those things up front, thinking about them, and prioritizing them so that you are dealing with those right on top. Uh, I I thought that was a cool idea, Jason. I hadn't heard that about saying, all right, let's put all the stuff that we know we can work on then we can we can get all these blockers out of the way as quickly as possible and then uh if if all of them are blocking us we've still got good stuff we can do rather than getting all the things done that you can do by yourselves and then finding out that you've got to do all these this stuff involved with constraints and now the team is sitting around trying to figure out what to do well actually one thing i just do want to add to that nate just to clarify is the idea of the three lanes is to show show the risk and basically show that. But what I would encourage teams to do, and we, we talked about this on the episode about change leadership, where one of the parts of that was getting a few quick wins. Ideally, a team is is a, is mixing their capacity between some of the the more risky items that were have dependencies and some of the quick wins. So because yeah. if if all you do is you focus on the hard stuff, then you might have a few weeks where you don't get anything done because you're working on the hard stuff. And so ideally you're kind of mixing it up, but the key thing is everyone, you can clearly see on the board where you're, where you're focusing your efforts. All right. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that's the way things shake out generally anyway, is that if you're trying to get a feature done, there's probably aspects of it that you can work on while you're waiting for the blockers. Um, so those things kind of, kind of result, you know, that's the result that you get. Yeah. But I, I appreciate you making that uh, clarification. Okay. So who hasn't read one of these yet? That would be me. Okay, so and, I, and, and oh. it's really, really appropriate that I'm reading this one, given my comments a little bit earlier. Estimate collaboratively. No estimates. Especially, no estimates. Uh, especially big items. No matter how experienced and intelligent the tech leads and functional managers, having them estimate work on their own, on their own, is risky. Risky business. Uh, planning and estimating knowledge work requires diverse perspectives, if only to wash out individual biases, of which everyone has plenty. If you want a realistic plan, have the entire team spend some time estimating the work and frequently inspect the actuals and revisit the estimates to iron out systematic errors. Okay, so, so here's the whole podcast in one thing. <laughs> what are we going to say about this? 
<laughs> so I agree with the estimates. So when I was saying earlier with some pre-planning and story writing, that would, that is, is what I'm I so I totally agree with that but what I really love about this is going back and ironing out system the the estimates uh, going back and revisiting to iron out, iron out systematic systematic errors um and looking at uh, evaluating what they estimated I read that or interpret that to be if you in, if you estimated a story that that it was a 5 and it actually turned out to be an 8 or something like that and you're evaluating those those metrics and so where did we go wrong why did we why did we estimate that wrong? What did we miss? So that the team can get better and fine tune their ability if they are using estimates. <laughs> so, and that's what I, I really like about that because I'm, I'm uh, another theme that's going on in my life right now is metrics um, and, and how to better utilize them and, and make the teams use them. Yeah. We, we've got several teams that um, because they have to estimate use techniques like uh, doing a t-shirt size in the beginning and then also at the end, and then running some metrics to see where the differences were between either to, to uh, overestimating or underestimating, both of them seen as, as errors that should be looked at. And, you know, you're going to expect some of them. I mean, estimates are guesses, so, so you're going to expect some level of being wrong. But if you're seeing being way wrong, you know, uh, a couple of levels off, or if you're seeing the, the same kinds of things recurring over and over, it's worth looking at and see what was happening. So, so Nate, can you, can you say a little more about they estimate after they're done? Is that, is that like you're, is that assigning an actual or like a, a range? Yeah, that, yeah, I shouldn't have okay, said that. Okay, okay. Was... It's assigning an actual. So when they're done, they say, okay, what was that? Now that we've finished, not knowing what we know, what would we have called that? So it's a small, you know, we thought it was going to be a large and it was a small, or we thought it was going to be a small and it was a large. So has anyone um has has anyone do you have, has anyone done a correlation on this to like see if as a team comes together and they start to work and they get to you know they establish their way of working and their mental model where if they if they have good discipline of this practice of like looking at uh, you know estimates and actuals that the correlation of estimates to actuals over time basically becomes more linear. Um, I haven't seen that. I, I can say that we've got a team who, who is on, uh, they count their iterations and they're up in the 160s or 170s. They've been operating for several years now. And I know they're still having these problems. Like they still have that estimate issues that they count and they get better or worse. But, um, uh, yeah, it's tough. I, it, it, it's, it's worth talking about, but then it seems like new things come up. Seeing. I'm just- I think you see that every time there's a change in a team. Um, if the, if a new team member comes on, it it, it just completely it, it's re-educating and creating a new mental model uh, for for the team because just one person uh, they they don't understand the baseline that everybody has grown to to understand. So yeah, so if the team is in a state of flux, which most many teams are, although. Actually, I was reading a government white paper today. They were actually talking about long-lived teams in the government, which is interesting for how they facilitate teams with contracts. But uh, you've got to account for that. So I, I would think for this for that practice to work really well, you'd have to have a long-lived team, and they would have to really, you know, I, I would almost say put the correlation graph up and say, hey, we want to look for this linear trend, and if we're not, then I don't know. The thing I want to ask you guys is when I first read this, I – as you can imagine, and as a no estimates person, I seized up immediately because the way I would approach this is different because he says estimate collaboratively, especially big items. I would say, guess what? No big items in the backlog. And I know if we've talked about this before where, hey, if we look at a story and we think it's more than one day or two days, guess what? We split it, you know, and so everything in your in your backlog by that nature is small and in your work becomes more standardized and you don't have to worry about the variability that which drives this estimation. Technically you're doing the same thing because you're taking that big work item and you're breaking it up. But what I like about that approach is it forces the team to have that conversation more proactively and they can learn sooner, which allows them to make better decisions. I've had uh- We've had teams that, that have had uh, like big stories and you know, whatever that number may be, it's, it's arbitrary, right? But uh, they, they have a, a rule within the team that says, if any story that we say is a, an X, 
we won't bring it in. It has to be broken down further yeah. uh, rather than just taking like taking it as those big stories. So developing a, rules around the story, any story above a whatever it is cannot be brought in. It's not ready for us to, to est even, you know, like really work on. We have to break it down further. And that goes back into their planning session rather than just straight estimating. Yeah. And the other thing that I just like, and I think we've talked about it a few times tonight, is that, you know, regardless of if you're estimating or not estimating, this idea about what's involved in a story is a whole team conversation, which which he does emphasize here, which is important because, you know, sometimes, you know, product owner might go off in their secret office and, you know, make some commitments and that's that's not good. So. Oh, we Just go. FYI, product owners aren't evil. They don't go off to their offices. Sorry, and, I guess I'm a li- and, and and sit there and and go. Mwahahaha. I'm sorry. I will tell. I've too much John Sexro's greatest hits lately for me, and um, <laughs> I will tell a funny story. John's gonna hate for me. I gotta find a picture. So I was I was channel surfing on the Fourth of July, and I I was watching Capital Fourth on um uh, it was on PBS. And they had um, a Casey and the Sunshine Band there, and Casey's out there playing his his like his disco keyboard, and he's wearing this America T-shirt from Old Navy. And I look, it's like that looks like John Sextra. I was like, no. So, okay, oh. I'm the only person that obviously saw that. So, anyways, so who wants to do the last one here? To I guess our last insight from Gil Braza's uh, blog post here that we'll put in the show notes. All right, I'm on this one. I like this one. Spend time replanning, not just revising schedules. That sounds wasteful. Planning. Amos would say we do no planning, right? I know, exactly. So uh, the first thing that he says is that um, you, uh, you're doing knowledge work, so you're discovering and learning. There's not a, there is not, no plan out there that is going to completely describe what you have to do. So um, you know, trying to nail down your plan perfectly is just going to result in wasted time. But by the same token... Um, if you do a light plan and you come up with an overall vision and roadmap, uh, it's worth revisiting. Don't treat it then as something golden that, uh, and then when, every time you have a delay, say, okay, well, we're still on track for this date, but now it moved out a week because we had a week delay. Um, take that opportunity to actually go and look at your plan again and, and think about it and, and consider whether it still makes sense based on where you are. So. Uh, and then he makes the point that if you're doing a flow, continuous flow approach where you don't have um, you don't have a story backlog that you're burning down and you're you're doing things as you as they go and you're not tracking velocity so much, uh, you're going to lose your opportunity to to think about where you're going and where you're headed if you don't stop and intentionally look at the rest of the work to do and think about whether this is still the right plan to, um, for you or not. So that one of the things I think uh, that really supports that is having those uh, those roadmaps visible and up on walls and 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 looking at them every single day. I think that's key for because it forces you to look like well that's not right that our our goal or our objectives has shifted slightly. So to to force people to continually look at that and make sure that they're revising it, refining it, um, and and updating it. Yeah, and I like this, and I'll, I'll share. I coach a technique that I, I'm overdue to write up that I that I call feature budgeting. And this is where we we have these features, and we we say, you know what? Ah, we look at the feature like like now, like give me a feature. What's a what's a good feature? The payment system. Okay, that's a bad screen. How about the payment processing screen? So, and and we say when we look at that, we talk about it as a team at the product owner. We say, you know what? We can build an awesome one in about four weeks, and effectively, the team makes a commitment to that, and then. Again, like you said, Natalie, that's part of kind of like their, call it their long-term release plan. That goes up on the wall. And if they're working on that feature, you track the amount of time you spend on it. And it's not, it's to have, it's to promote having that conversation. Hey, we initially thought we would spend four weeks on that. We've invested two weeks working on it. Means we got about two weeks left. Are we going to get done? Can we get done early? You know, and you can have all those conversations or, hey, it was way more complicated than we thought. So it's going to take more time. And hey, we thought we'd work on it this week, but we didn't work on it. Why? Well, because we had to go do prod support or something, you know, and at that point, guess what? You don't get time back. So you've got to adjust the scope and say, well, hey, we're not going to be able to build that awesome feature if we have to release on that day. So we've either got to adjust scope or we've got to extend time and you it drives all those conversations. So um, but I think what's important here is in that case, you're not just moving the, the dots around on the Gantt chart. 
you're actually talking about scope, you know, you're negotiating. Do we extend time? Do we reduce scope? To me, that is replanning, not just moving the dots around. Agree totally. And I think it, it feeds into with vision, any artifacts that come out of uh, the team, working agreements, whatever, whatever the team has chosen to do, having those very visible uh, for the team uh, influences every everything they do right if you're constantly checking against is this work that i'm doing right now going towards the vision is it is it part of our immediate goal or, or the future that we're focused on oh. you know is it is it all in line with what 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 it is that we're trying to achieve here and then you can have fun and you can say what are our investment themes from our from our it roadmap that we map across the portfolio and you map your epics and your for all your teams to those portfolios so you can measure investment across themes okay that's all I'll stop talking about evil things like portfolio management. Right? MBA stuff? No, that's called portfolio management. <laughs> it's so that you can say as an organization, we're going to spend 20% of our budget on security and we can see if we actually do that. Or, oh, oh crap, we only spent, we thought we'd spend 20, we spent 5%, you know? So where'd our money all go? So, Nate, you got any thoughts on this? No, I don't. I think you guys covered it well. Yeah. All right, well. A few, um, before we do our picks, a few bonus picks then just to kind of reiterate that we mentioned during the show today. Uh, obviously, uh, Natalie did mention the awesome Get Kanban game developed by Russ Healy. There's like, there's a free version you can download off getkanban.com and play it at home. You got to print the stuff. There's a couple online versions of the game and there's also a cool um, uh, licensed version you can buy from getkanban.com that's got some neat things and uh, Carlos is uh, interesting. We can, we should talk about Carlos on a future episode because I will share Sometimes when I do get Kanban, we have eliminated Carlos because there's a few of us in the community that think he's a distraction um, to some of the learning objectives of the game. So we should talk about that. Uh, we also talked about Heinrich Nyberg's product ownership in a nutshell video on YouTube. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. If you haven't seen it, it's a really good investment of about 15 minutes and 38 seconds of your time to kind of get a good conceptual view of what Agile is that anyone can understand, including executives. And of course, these uh, talking points we went through came from a uh, Kind of a newsletter from Gil Braza and his upcoming book called The Agile Mindset. This week's hottest picks. First up this week is Nate. What do you got in the hopper for us this week, Nate? All right. I got a couple things. Uh, Apple has made it very easy to participate in their beta, beta program this time. Uh, it's not just limited to people who have a developer license through their, uh, through their system. Anybody can be in the beta program. You go to beta.apple.com and sign up. And you can go ahead and try out the new OS 10 or iOS 9 early and uh, help them and, um, you know, give them feedback. So if you like doing that kind of thing and getting in early, that might be something you'd want to do. Um, I'm also, I'll also bring up uh, one of my favorite podcasts I've been listening to for years called Planet Money. It's an NPR podcast, and they do a good job of taking interesting uh, economic concepts and explaining them in a way that anyone can understand. And so it's a great way to keep up with what's going on in our world of, uh, of very complicated uh, economic uh, instability sometimes, and, uh, and then just sometimes learning cool things about uh, how much investment you really need to have if you want to be a farmer. Hmm. Interesting. And or why the stock market crashes. Yes. The, not the stock market crash. The computers that run the stock market crash. All right. So um, I got three this week. Um, so I'm going to plug a live event that everyone's going to probably complain about, which is Agile 2015, which is August oh. 3rd through the 7th in Washington, D.C. Uh, Truth in Advertising, I had the opportunity to be part of the program committee this year. So um, uh, I guess I'm promoting the event. We've got a great program. This is July, so it is about the last responsible moment if you want to try to show up live. But what I actually do want to mention is if you're not going to Agile 2015 and you've never done this, follow the hashtag um, Agile2015 on Twitter because there'll be a ton of Twitter traffic at the conference. People kind of with insights, links to presentations, links to talks, videos. So you could get a lot of the value from the conference simply by following the hashtag on Twitter. And at that point you can do that from anywhere. So, um, so check out agile 2015, either live or on, on social media. I don't know if you did this on purpose, but you just came up with a cool portmanteau, Jason, you said pro mention, like promote and mention. Oh, I did. Wonderful. I'll, I like I'll that. put that up there with a, Hey, let's give away a constellation prize. Okay. <laughs> Best thing ever. So, um, I got two more then still. So, uh, the charity, 
When was the last time you did something for charity inspired by talking about the Goodwill rule tonight? Um, I'm sure there's a post about the Goodwill rule somewhere, but guess what? Test it out yourself. Go find something and donate it to help someone out. So, uh, you know, do something to help some people out. And the last one that I'll plug is a book I've been reading. Actually, I finished it. It's called Your Brain at Work. And it talks about the physiology of your brain and, and if anything, how it impacts our, our ability to, to do different types of tasks at work, like prior, prioritize, think, brainstorm. And if you think about the physiology, there's actually like times of the day when it makes sense to do certain things. So it's definitely a good book. It's, it's, it's also inspired me to throw a party about your brain that I'm working on um, coming up in a little bit. So uh, we'll talk about that in a future episode. So um, those are my three for this week. And Natalie, why don't you close out our picks tonight? What do you got? Okay, uh, so I just added these. Uh, oh, sorry for the late ad, but... You're not supposed um, to say that. You're supposed to act like you had them. I know, no, 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 but, That's you know, called oh. the last responsible moment. <laughs> that's transparency. <laughs> um, so Agile, the half-assed guide to creating anything you want to, uh, want to from scratch. Um, it's super short. It, it's kind of funny, uh, but it's, it's definitely worth a read. Is it good hey, or Tell bad? me if I... I'll go read it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. It's uh, it's on Amazon. I've got the free, you know, like the subscription on Amazon, and it's one of the free ones that you can read. So um, I I thought I would check it out. The other one uh, that uh, I am still reading through uh, for the first time is Agile Coaching, which I had never read. So, uh, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a a really nice, clear, uh, well thought out uh, presentation around uh, Agile Coaching. So definitely recommend that. And I will be at Agile 2015 if this is my first uh, conference, uh, Agile uh, uh, conference. So I look forward to seeing you then. Yeah, we actually we have a rather large contingent from St. Louis, Missouri, going to Agile 2015. I think I know a lot of the people, and so we're gonna have to like figure out a way to hook up or to link up before we go, so we can share some ideas. So, um, anyway, so if you're in St. Louis, Missouri, check out our uh, the Agile Link community on LinkedIn. We'll post some stuff about that, and we'll if you want to be part of our group, if you want to pretend you don't know us, you can run away. So, um, but guess what, everyone? That's all we have time for on this episode of This Agile Life. So. We thank you for listening, and of course, we value your feedback, so please do something to connect with us. You can go to our website at www.thisagilelife.com. You could hook us up, you could follow us up on Twitter, at This Agile Life, and of course, on our website, uh, we do have individual links for all the hosts and everyone who was on this episode, and of course, all the people who were not on this episode that we talked about, so you can contact any of us with ideas, insights, questions. We, we love to hear from you, so... Thanks for listening and keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.